All right, so lesson number four on building sound doctrine, we call this the nitty-gritty, and that is how to actually do it. We've looked at three other lessons. Last week, we looked at the hermeneutics of Bible doctrine and the five areas in which you try to theologically interpret Scripture, textual, lexical, historical, etc., contextual. And now we're just going to look at just the downright nitty-gritty, and that is you have to study the Bible. You cannot build doctrine listening to someone preach. You have to study the Bible for yourself. And as we point out over and over again, men tend to be much better Bible students than women. Women tend to be much better prayers and prayer warriors than men. And this just comes back to our basic makeup that women like to talk, and we often joke about that. And women are often more heartfelt and emotional. And so pouring your heart out to God is a lot easier for a woman than a man who works all day, then comes home and grunts and doesn't say much when he gets home. So he doesn't have much more to say to God either. But he doesn't mind to crack open that Bible and study. So whichever you are, you need to make sure you make up the difference. If you're given to prayer, learn how to study the Bible. Get a hunger for your Bible. If you're given to Bible study, you need to start praying more. Preachers, male preachers, tend to be the best students and Bible scholars, but we're not the best at praying. And so uh, we've got to make sure we're balanced in both. So let's look at our lesson here. The first and foremost, our primary motive for studying the Bible must be to know God. You can't build doctrine without studying the Bible, but you don't study the Bible just to build doctrine. You study the Bible to know God. It's the only way you can get to know Him. It's the quickest way to get to know Him. Then you begin to put it into action. You begin to labor for Him. You take your yoke upon Him and you learn of Him. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so the first and foremost thing you got to do is begin to open your Bible. Pastor Vaughn was fond of saying, don't ever let me hear you say, my pastor says. There's nothing wrong with quoting your pastor or Dr. Barclay or your, your faith hero, but you have to know the Bible for yourself. You ought to be able to first and foremost say, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Otherwise, somebody will come in and begin to pull you off of your favorite faith hero and so discord. Uh, if they're able to pull you off the Bible, you may not be very saved at all. So we study the Bible to know God. Look at our, our verse, 2 Timothy 2, 15, very famous verse. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we always quote this, but let me, coming back to our previous lesson on hermeneutics and uh, textual or contextual, excuse me, textual lexical, the word study here is the King James word for study, which we assume means to get out pencil, paper, and begin to take notes. That's not what the King James word. So you have a lexical and a historical difference. The word study here taken from the Greek means to be diligent and to hasten. Now, we'll always probably quote it wrong to drive home the point that you need to study your Bible. And we'll take the King James word study and we'll apply the modern or modern histor uh, historical definition to study. And we'll drive home that point that you ought to be a student of God's word. But this word doesn't mean be a student. This word means be diligent and hasten. That used to be the old King James version of study. So when you were a diligent hastener in school, that was studying school materials. And the word evolved. Just like charity. We understand the King James word charity doesn't mean charity like you and I think of charity today, like Blue Cross, or excuse me, Red Cross, and HIV, and, and all these different charities we have out there, Homeless Mission, Salvation Army. That's charity, but that's not King James' translation version of charity. Follow so far? Either way, you're diligent and you hasten. You will literally study to prove all this out. 
So be diligent. Hasten to show yourself approved unto God. And one of the ways of your diligence is studying the Bible, reading your Bible, breaking down scriptures, studying scriptures, studying stories. Don't ever say, well, I've read the Bible once. Shame on you. You should say, you should be saying, I'm always reading my Bible. Well, I read it cover to cover once and you picked up about 1%. 66 books, 31,102 verses. It's a lot of stuff in there. The more you study, the more you study, the more you study. Personally, I'm going back and I'm studying the life of David over and over again. And this time as I study through Samuel, Kings, and the first part of Chronicles, I'm looking at all the key players around him and I'm becoming as familiar with them as I am with David. The Benaiahs and the Ahabs, excuse me, the Joabs, Joab's brothers, the son of Zariah. And, and this starts to add more depth to your doctrine and more depth to your Bible understanding. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Notice that uh, studying takes work, being diligent takes work, building doctrine takes work. Most Christians, when it comes to the Bible, are not workers. They are welfare recipients. They come to church and they hear the pastor, they hear the teacher, they hear the minister, they listen on the radio, but they don't actually get into the Bible for themselves. If you don't get into the Bible for yourselves, you won't know the voice of God for yourself because the Bible is God's voice speaking to you. And if you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, one of the best ways is to know your Bible because it sounds the same. And that may sound weird to you, but it just shows that you haven't ever studied the Bible or heard from God because it's the same. You, you just, I can't explain it because we try to understand it in natural terms, but to read the Bible, that's the voice of the Spirit. To hear from the Holy Ghost, that's the voice of the Spirit. And it's the same. And again, some of you are like, Hey, Pastor, all you're saying is, Kind of tell off on yourself. Study the Bible. Read it out loud. Even though it's your voice, it's the voice of the Spirit of God speaking because He breathed these scriptures. And you'll recognize when it's the Holy Spirit, not a demon spirit, not a familiar spirit, or something else speaking to you. You'll be able to discern it. You'll be able to distinguish it because the same spirit that speaks to you to do this or don't do that or go here, don't go there is the same voice that said, write John 3, 16, write John 3, 17. In the beginning was the word. So we have to be diligent students of the word. Ladies are the worst on this. Men tend to be the strongest, yet women tend to be the biggest prayer warriors, which opens them up to the spirit realm more. What voices are you hearing? Amen. Do not be intimidated by the Bible. There are 66 books, a maps, and a concordance section. I guess that makes it technically 68, but the last two are not inspired. They're just studied out. Often the, the size of its sheer volume can be overwhelming. Questions like, where do I begin? Just jump in. It's like walking around a pool. Where do I jump in at? Wherever you feel like it. Diving board, low, high dive, low dive, shallow in. I don't know, sometimes you just jump in. If you, if you stick your feet in the water to test it, you probably talk yourself out of it. Just jump in. I, I often tell guys, if you just want fun, just jump in Samuel and Kings and study the wars. Study the, the characters who went to battle. Those are some cool stories. And that gets a ball rolling for you. Uh, often they tell baby Christians, start in the Gospel of John and the Epistle of the Ephesians because those are very simple books of basic doctrine. We should maybe say simple. They're easier to understand. Will I ever be able to understand it? No. All of it? No. 
No, no, we go to heaven and we get to take advanced classes. Will you ever be able to grasp it now? Absolutely. But the more you study it, the more you'll become familiar with it. Studying the Bible is like any new thing you encounter in life. The more you get around it, the more you become acclimated to it, the more you become familiar with it. Schmitty was trying to teach me about power grids and the politics behind TVA and, and selling power and buying power. And I was, we were filming the VBS stuff and I'm trying to work with puppets and he's talking to me about all this and he's wanting my wisdom on something. And I said, you're going to have to explain this to me five more times before I can even wrap my mind around this to give you wisdom on it. Remember that, Schmitty? Yeah. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to bother. He said, no, you don't mean to bother me, but I'm not going to be able to wrap my mind around your career and what you do every day in just one five-minute cliff note section. Same with your Bible. You come to church over and over again. You hear the same story, so you begin to intimately acquaint your heart with the Bible narrative. But now if you'll go home and study it on your own, God will be able to show you more things, and you'll be able to remember where you saw it on the pages of your Bible, and you'll be able to see where you had it underlined and had notes. Just, just being intimidated will not help you. You have to push through the intimidation and start somewhere and begin to gobble it up one bite at a time and go through the stories over and over and over again. Uh, Rick texted me uh, a question about a scripture the other day, and I was able to give it to him off the top of my head. And somebody I was with laughed at me and said, you didn't even have to look that up. And I said, that's a pastoral epistle. I ought to be able to quote you all three of those like the back of my hand. And that's, that's just what it is. I mean, I ought, to be, I ought to know it. And you ought to know the scriptures that have helped you. You ought to be able to find them so easy. If you haven't, if you can't, you've not been in the Word, and you're wasting time. There are things in your life you've studied and you are so intimately familiar with, you know it like the back of your hand, and it's easy to you. You ought to make the Bible the same way. The Bible is the book you live and breathe by. You ought to know Bible, the Bible like you know your sports stats. You ought to know the Bible like you know the ingredients to your favorite recipes. You ought to know the Bible like you ought to know dog breeds, if you're into dogs or car engines and car statistics or airplanes or whatever your thing is. The reason you know those things, and if we were to have a conversation about those things that you like, we'd be going, but you've just studied it over and over and over again. And when something new comes out, you just assimilate that into your body of knowledge. The cool thing is there's nothing new in the Bible. It was solidified 1,700 years ago or codified and closed off, and so nothing's added. So you just have to keep studying the same 66 books of source material over and over again, and you will get to know your God. I guess it doesn't help us that today, Cephas was telling me, uh, because of technology, here's a little help for you parents. So they said, because of iPads and iPods, we have so lowered the attention span of children and adults. The attention span of the average American is eight seconds now due to iPods and iPads. And when you let your children live on those, you're ruining their intellect. He said, the studies now say children aren't interested in hands-on toys because it requires more attention span. They want something that flashes that they have to interact with like this. You know, it's almost like one of those autism spectrum disorders almost trained by an iPad. Now, I'm not saying that's how you get autism, but you can see the similarities. He said studies show that the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds, one second longer than your children. And used to before, you know, you give a kid a baby doll, they'd have the same baby doll for 10 years. I was judging myself like my kids have 30 baby dolls. And I'm wanting to buy him the next one that I think is cool. I've got to dry this up to teach my kids to stay focused on the Bible. You know, 100 years ago, there wasn't 
iPods and iPads and computers and a thousand newspapers and magazines. Most of the folks, when they wrote, if you ever read historical letters, they quote the Bible to each other because it was the one thing they all had in common. And they studied it. They didn't buy novels. They didn't buy comic books. They didn't buy magazines. They all studied the Bible. And they'd say, I went through this. They write a letter from their aunt to their uncle or to their grandma out in Iowa or something. They'd say, I just felt like Belshazzar. And that's all that needed to be said. And you, you mentioned the name Belshazzar to somebody today. Who? I felt like, you know, Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar and, 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 and that was all that would need to be said because everybody was familiar with the story out of Daniel. And so we don't have that commonality anymore. Even though we're all born again of the same body, we don't have that commonality because we don't all study the Bible the same. Love letters used to be written around the Bible. And they would talk about, I wish I could be like this king and make the earth stand still for three days so I could spend more time with you. Or your neck is like an ivory tower. Your breasts are like pomegranates. And your legs are like goat legs. Now that's, that's words for divorce right there. Or breaking up or I'll do say what? But if, if you both knew the Bible and studied Song of Solomon, you realize he was just complimenting you. And yeah. But we don't have that commonality anymore because we're distracted in a thousand different directions. Will I ever know as much as the preacher? You can. You may not today or next year, but I've been studying the Bible for 21 years. But you can if you'll just get after it. Be encouraged. The author of the Bible, that would be God, lives in you and he has promised to lead you and guide you in all truth. Thy word is truth. So he'll lead you and guide you in the Bible. You can expect him to lead you through the Bible and speak to you through it. The Bible is God speaking to us. Let us study what he is speaking. Study for no other reason but to know God. And then as you study, you'll begin to put doctrine together. And that's what you need. You need to study the Bible so you can know the voice of God. Not the voice of your best friend. Not the voice of your best uh, counselor. The voice of your God. There's so many voices in the earth. But you need to know the voice of your shepherd the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to spend, the bigger the decision you have, the more time you need to spend in your Bible. The bigger the decisions you have, the slower you need to move through life and the more time you should be spending in your Bible. So you're more familiar with the voice of God and you're more familiar with the voice of God. We demonstrated a couple years ago with that lotto ball thing. When you have all these voices in your life and all these voices in your head, trying to figure out which one is the voice of God can be very difficult. And the devil can always come along and drop something else in that tumbling ball of lotto balls. And you can't even discern the voice of God from the voice of a familiar spirit, from the voice of your will, from the voice of your parents' will, from the voice of your friend's will, from the voice of the culture's will. Even culture has a voice. And Lydia was asking me this morning, I put on these boots and she said, I like your boots, daddy. I said, thank you. She said, how come men always wear boots and women, ladies don't? And I said, it's a cultural thing. I'm beginning to teach Lydia about culture this morning. Culture requires men to dress manly and women not to dress manly. Then I got to think, why don't men wear high heels? You know, just wondering. I mean, if I did, I'd be a transvestite by today's culture. But, but it's a, a strictly a cultural thing. You know, you have to protect your toes. Women wear the open toe sandals and their two or three fat squishy toes squirt out the end like a little squid. So then... then <laughs> Some of you have those toes, don't you? You know what I'm talking about. So then to make it pretty, you, you know, paint the tips of them, look like cookies or something. 
Or it looks like some kind of anglerfish at the bottom of the ocean trying to lure in something else that you can gobble up and eat and pull back into your sandal. It's all a cultural. Culture has a voice and tells you what to do. Sometimes the voice of culture is demonic and you have to find the Bible that pulls you back into safety, like the toes retracting into the open-toed sandal. <laughs> Just because they make open-toed sandals doesn't mean you should wear them. <laughs> all feet are not pretty feet. Now, you should preach the gospel. That will make your feet prettier. Some of you need to do a lot more preaching. <laughs> Study, studying is different from reading, and let's be very clear on that. Just because you've read the Bible does not mean you've actually studied any of it. A lot of folks deceive themselves there. Well, I, I, I'm not, you guys have heard me say this. I'm not against the one-year study Bible, you know, where you read through the Bible in a year. And that's great. I think everybody should read through the entire Bible. But if you actually study the Bible, you'll eventually read through the whole Bible. But tell me, which is better? To study through the whole Bible in 365 days, retain 1%, or God camp you out in the book of John for six months and you revolutionize your life? Tell me which is better. Tell me which is better. And if it's because we get legalistic on this stuff. What about if all you have is the New Testament? Are you a lesser Christian because you've only read through the New Testament 600 times and you don't even know what the Old Testament is? What about our persecuted brothers and sisters in Russia who only have pages of New Testaments that they, under the old Cold War oppression, would roll up and put in potatoes? And put the potato plug back on there, put it in the potato bin, because if the communists came through and found you had a Bible, you'd be off in the gulags of Siberia. So they would only have one or two pieces of a New Testament that was smuggled into them, and that's what their relationship with Jesus Christ revolved around, and yet they broke down communism through their faith. And you and I have the entire book, and we can read through it in a year and be, still be the same. So I'm not against a one-year study plan. I tried to do it one time. And all I kept seeing was other things I needed to study to change my life. I abandoned it after three months. And I said, well, this doesn't work for me because God's talking to me out of this book. And if I try to, if I stick with the letter of reading through my one-year Bible, I will grieve the Holy Ghost because he's talking to me out of today's reading. And I can't just read through it to hurry up to get to next tomorrow's reading just to check it off. Just to say I read through the Bible in a year. Awesome. But what changed about you? You can read through the Bible or you can study ch chunks of it and change your family, change your destiny, change your flesh, change your soul. So you tell me which is better. Now, if you have time to do both, do both. But if you don't, listen to the voice of your pastor, not somebody else. I counsel you to study the Bible. And don't worry about trying to read through the whole thing in one year. There's a massive difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible. Reading the Bible spends time. It, it, it passes time. Studying the Bible takes time. And when you get to studying and pulling on that thread that the Spirit of God poked, poked at you and pointed to you, you can't wait to come back the next day to keep pulling on that thread. And that may end up taking you through more books of the Bible in six months than the one your study Bible does. I'm going to teach Wednesday night. It strikes me now. I'm going to teach Wednesday night on selective submission. And that's when you choose to submit to somebody else and your excuses. Well, they're an authority too. Yeah, but they're not your authority. I've been a student of the Bible 21 years. I have never read the Bible through in one sitting or in one year. It's, it probably took me 15 years to read the entire Bible. But I can quote you chunks of it, massive chunks of it. And I work out doctrine anywhere in it. Because I didn't just sit down and read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. I sat down and studied the Bible. 
I think I told you I spent nine months in the book of Jude and only got through the 13th or 14th verse. Nine months studying the book of Jude. I have, in my office, I have a ream of notes about this thick. Nine months, and all I studied every day was the book of Jude. But when you get to, you know, the going in the way of, of Cain and the way of Balaam and the way of gainsaying of Korah, you spend three months there studying Genesis and Exodus just to understand what that one verse means. So I'm not against the one-year study Bible, the one-year reading Bible, but you will deceive yourself into thinking something great happened when all you did was legalistically read through stuff you don't understand. Now, I know I'm upsetting some of you because that's your walk with God. I'm trying to teach you how to have a deeper walk with God. I mean, if you don't have to do anything, read the Bible. That's great. But if you want a deeper walk with God, study the Bible. And that takes time. All right, some of you, your, your hearts are a little reluctant to agree with me because you might have to change. If you have time to do both, do both. But if you can only do one, don't try to read the Bible in a year. It will not benefit you like it could if you study the verse God has you on. Honestly, if you're facing like suicidal thoughts, reading through the Bible in one year is not going to do it for you. You need to study verses about hope, joy, peace, confidence, courage. You spend four days reading the genealogies of Leviticus, Luke. That alone will make you want to commit suicide. (laughs) Begat, begat, begat. You'll go crazy trying to pronounce the names. Let's move on. Three needful ingredients. Effective, well, let's read this for, for the recording sake. Reading passes time. Reading makes you well-read. Studying takes time. Studying makes you a workman. There's the difference. And every one of us, let's back up. Let me hit this one last time. Whack-a-mole. going to crack it one last time. How many of you have sat there and read something and got to the bottom of the page and said, I don't even know what I just read, and have to go back? And yet when you study, you bog down, and you're looking at that verse 15, 20 different ways. By the time you're done with that one verse, you can quote that verse. Maybe that whole passage. Three needful ingredients. Effective Bible study takes three elements, three ingredients. Number one, mental assertion. You can read and not assert your mind. You can just look at letters, look at words, and not really comprehend what you're reading. You can't just mindlessly read the words on the page. You must be actively engaging your mind into what you are reading, not dozing off. You have to engage your mind. Number two, self-discipline. This is where we lack it as a nation. Only you can discipline yourself. Improvement and advancement comes one day at a time. Here a little, there a little. Let your Bible study be as important to you as eating, sleeping, bathing, etc. I used to carry around a pocket New Testament to study the Bible so I didn't have to have my, my main preaching Bible. Now we have the phone apps. We can do it on our phone. But even at your lunch break, just open up your phone app and read the Psalms, read Proverbs, study the shorter epistles. Most of the epistles of the New Testament you can read in one sitting. And I would challenge some of you, just take an epistle and read it three or four times a day for a week. By the end of that week, you will know so much. You'll begin to pick up so many different things out of that epistle. Did you know that there are tonal differences between Paul's epistles and Peter's epistles? That if you read them enough times, you begin to recognize the writing style, even translated into English? Yes, it is so. (laughs) Study the Bible and you'll recognize it. Time. Bible study takes time. You must make time for Bible study. You must make time for Bible study. You must make time for it. You have to have a pencil and a piece of paper or your laptop open. You're underlining things. You're writing things. It, It takes time. 
Bible reading, you just, you just quickly do it, just grasping things. But even for me, I can't even just read without something jumping out at me and I have to make mental note, go back and look at that or chase that. Get halfway through a verse, I gotta start chasing it through the rest of the scriptures. If you do not make time for it, the world will make sure you're always too busy for the Bible. How many can say amen to that? That's the case, isn't it? So let's look at some study techniques to help you. There are three main ways in which you can study the Bible. They are parallels to the three main sermons you preach, topically, exegetically, and textually. So the easiest way to study your Bible, and this is how we build doctrine, is you study the Bible topically. And that means you find a subject or a topic in the Bible that you like and you begin to chase it. By chase it, I mean you just find everything you can on it and look at it, cross-reference it, digest it, break it down, ask the Lord questions just in your own Bible study. Topically, this may be the easiest way to study the Bible. To study the Bible topically means you research a particular topic in the Bible such as... uh, Doctrinal, doctrinal topics like salvation, forgiveness, healing, demons, etc. Miss Sassy is asking me about a friend of hers who's a oneness, Pentecostal. Oneness people only believe in uh, one, one God. They, they believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New Testament. He's the Holy Spirit. Now that's partially right. So when you start talking about oneness, which a lot of strict hardline theologians would consider heresy because it denies the existence of the Trinity. I'm not a hardliner. I I think you can go to heaven being a oneness knucklehead, but there is a Trinity. You start dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity. So you have to start looking at all the different verses that talk about the nature of God, his deity. So the verse they already always pull is out of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy that the Lord your God is one God. All right. Yeah, he's one God. And then you find yet three persons ascribed with the same deity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And you have multiple verses, a myriad of them in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that speak about God in the plurality. Miss Sassy, like in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth and God said, let us make man in our image, our. So there's a plural in the pronoun tense. So that's a topic you can begin to search out is the Trinity. So there's a doctrinal tension there that God says he's but one God, yes, but three persons prescribed or ascribed to deity. And that's why we come up with the doctrine of the Trinity because even the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of his Father and the Spirit that he has being upon them, another comforter of the same kind, according to John 14. So you, you, you start to study these subjects and you begin to pull out all the different scriptures that help you build the doctrine. Uh, the allegory we use around here is the diamond, all the different facets You have two or three verses that talk about one God, and then you have about a thousand others that talk about his plurality. But not polytheism, not multiple gods, one God, three persons, a trinity, which makes him unique. Three unique persons, three distinct persons that are but God. He is the word, and it is his spirit. The spirit of God is the spirit of Christ, is the spirit of grace. So that's a topical study worth searching out. If you'll study all the scriptures on your pet doctrine, you may not have a pet anymore because you may not be as right as you think you are. You know, oneness folks are very hung up on oneness. Predestination people are very hung up on Calvinism. If they would study all the scriptures about the sovereignty of God and the predestination doctrines of God, they wouldn't be Calvinists as strongly anymore. They'd have to water down that Calvinist hardline with Armenian and free will scriptures because there's a lot more Armenian and free will based scriptures than there are predestination and Calvinistic scriptures. 
Uh, you can look at for healings and demons. You know, if you're, if you're studying, if you're fighting sickness, you don't need to work through a one-year Bible because you probably got to go to work. You probably got kids to raise. You ought to just focus on healing scriptures. There, that ruins your one-year, your Bible and one-year calendar because what God wants you to work on is getting healthy, not sticking with the scriptures. Now, you could argue that his word will heal you, yes, and you could just read his word and be healed, but chances are you need to build your faith. So even if you took four or five days off, can you? Anybody ever done the one-year Bible? You know how strict that is and how much you have to read. Can you really afford to miss five days? Not and stay on top of it because you'll never catch up with it. If you're fighting sickness, you should be studying scriptures on healing. If you're fighting for your marriage, you should be studying scriptures on peace and love and unity in your marriage. These are topical sermons. Characters like King David, Samson, Rahab, Paul, etc. Those are fun. You ought to study, jump in the Bible, and get to know everything you can about uh, a character. I'm working on a book right now on Samson. I have been reading Judges and the three chapters about Samson over and over and over and over again. And just in doing that, I've already changed my doctrine and my opinions on Samson two or three times just by reading it over and over and over and over and over again. And then reading it in context of the book of Judges and seeing the pattern of all the other judges. This is a topical study. And when, you, when I get done, you better believe I'll be a lot smarter on the book of Judges and Samson than I ever have been can't do that reading through the Bible in a year. I'm not against it, but I'm trying to make you a higher caliber Christian. Study. Don't just read. Study. 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 Events like the Exodus. How does that parallel with the new birth? The flood. How does that parallel with the last day's judgment? The construction of the temple. How does that parallel with your your body? These are awesome topics that you can study. This method of Bible study can have you in searching the entire Bible for different scriptures related to your topic of interest. This will require the use of the extra biblical tools covered in a previous lesson of a different curriculum called Bible study tools like your lexicons, your concordances, your your Bible encyclopedias, etc. This style of study can make you a veritable expert on any given topic. Do it, learn something about the topic, then move on to another topic. And if you're, if you're a baby Christian, just I would study the topics that you're facing today. If it's depression, study that. Beat it. If it's uh, discouragement, study that. Beat that. If it's insecurity, if it's health issues, if it's, I don't know, whatever you have to study, you study it. You become an expert on that. As you study multiple topics, you'll begin to build your knowledge database of the heart of God concerning the things of life and godliness. Either way, study, 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 study. When you know the Bible, it's very, very difficult to be deceived. The more you know the Bible, the harder it is to be deceived. The harder it is to deceive yourself. Because the more you know the Bible, the more you'll hold yourself accountable. Just on the inside of you, the word will go off and say, can't do that, violates this verse. Can't do that, violates this verse. Can't do that. Don't act that way, that violates this verse. Don't act that way. It takes time, though. You guys are sitting at me, looking at me like I'm spanking you because you're all guilty of not studying your Bible. And one of the disappointments of the modern day word churches is they don't have the word anymore. So they should stop advertising themselves to be word churches. By that, they typically meant word of faith or exalting the word. It doesn't matter if your church is a word church or is your home a word home? Is your family a word family? Do your children know how to read their Bible? Do you teach them how to read their Bible? Have you sat down with them as they were young and teach them how to study the Bible and read the Bible with them and encourage them to read the Bible? Again, quiet. 
I know you can't be tired. Nobody was up here working afternoon yesterday. So you surely had a good afternoon and good rest. So it must just be you're not students of the word like you should be. It's easy to fix. You just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm going to start studying my Bible more. I'm going to have one in my drawer at work. I'm going to have one on my app, on my phone. And I'm going to have one by my bedside. And I'm actually going to open it and just not collect dust. And get offended when pastor says I should do more than just read the Bible once in a year. Getting offended because I'm teaching you a better way to grow in Christ. How petty. Just because you've done it one way for so long and it isn't doing the work it should do doesn't mean you get offended at me. If you have time to do both, do both. It's it always shocks me what ends up hitting people and rubbing them raw when I preach. And the other thing it should spook you out is how much I can hear your heart when I'm behind this pulpit. And if I'm hearing your heart, how can you think your heart is right? I am not against reading the Bible once through in a year. But if that's all you do, you've missed out. If that's all you do, you have royally missed out. And that's why you might call me to find out where a verse is. Because you know I'll, I know where it's at. Because I didn't just read the Bible through once in a year. I studied the stuff the Spirit of God was saying today. And that's why you want to know where the verse is, because it's what God's saying today. So tell me who's more led by the Spirit, the person that mindlessly reads through the Bible once in a year or the person that studies what God is saying today. And when you study what God is saying today, you'll find you probably don't have time to just, just read the Bible through once in a year. Now, reading the Bible through once in a year, that's great. And if you're going to do nothing else, that's better than nothing. But the reason you ask me where the verse is is because you know I know what God's saying today because that's what I'm studying. It's amazing how we get so legalistic over things trying to be right for God. And the more I talk about it, the more you get mad at me. Just chill out. I'm exalting the Bible. <laughs> Exegetically, this is a fancy word that simply means the student studies a passage of Scripture and interprets that passage. Exegetically means one verse to expound upon or exegete one verse or passage. The passage would be three or four verses in a row, a whole chapter, maybe a whole book of the Bible. And so you can study the book of John. You can study the book of Jude. You can study the book of Judges. You can study the book of Ruth or Esther. You could study one of the poetical books like Job, Psalms or Proverbs or Song of Solomon. You can study one of those and that's considered an exegetical study. You can study a passage. You can study the Lord's Prayer. You can study just passages that are quoted or taken from Psalms. And that would be an exegetical study. When you're done with an exegetical study, you'll have a good understanding of that particular passage of scriptures in context. Excuse me, its context, its meaning, and its setting. You'll understand. You could study it as a textual study, or excuse me, an exegetical study, uh, the Lord's Sermon on the Mount or his uh, eschatological discourse there as he's coming out of the Lord's prayer on his way to be crucified where he's talking about there's not one stone here that'll be left undone, but it'll all be brought down to nothing. That's, that could be an exegetical study, a whole passage, because it changes language, it changes tense, it even changes audience that it'll be applied to. So these are exegetical studies. And the more you slow down and dig into that, the more you'll get out of it. New Testament epistles or portions of epistles make for good exegetical studies. Just those portions, they make for good exegetical studies. You know, the Mount of Transfiguration, study that. What was going on there? 
Study in, um, in Mark 9. Here's a good example of studying. You know, again, if you just read through this, you don't pick up on any of this. But if you actually study it topically or exegetically, it becomes richer, more alive. The application becomes deeper. But the, the Mark 9, the lunatic boy, his father had besought the disciples who were down at the bottom of the mountain to cast a demon out, and they couldn't. So Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and he sees this big crowd. They're kind of mad at the disciples because the nine disciples can't cast this demon out of this boy. And Jesus interrupts everybody and says, what seems to be the problem? And the man with the lunatic boy says, I ask your disciples to cast him out, and they couldn't cast him out. And then Jesus rebukes them, says, how long will I be with you? Then he looks at the boy and says, this type comes out only with prayer and fasting. And of course, he's cast him out with one word. Awesome. But if, if all you do is read through that, all you do is pick up verses. But if you study the context, if you, if you do an exegetical study of that passage, you realize Jesus had just come from the Mount of Transfiguration, where for three days and three nights, no food and nothing but prayer. He, that's the whole reason he could instantly cast that demon out. He had just come from prayer and fasting. And he instantly spoke to it. The other nine could not. They weren't lesser. They just hadn't been in prayer and fasting. So this, this is, again, another point why we want to study and slow down and not just read through. Ask questions as you study the Bible. Why? Why did he say that? Where, where did he just come from? Where is he going to next? Why was that just said? Everything in the Bible is there on purpose. None of it is just fluff. None of it is, a, is in an editor's oversight where that really just doesn't help the narrative. We should take it out or that we just left it in there because we like the dialogue like a screenplay writer. Everything in there is in there for a reason to build doctrine. So you have to ask questions. Why is that in there? And not just skip over it. But why is that in there? Then the last type is textual. This type of study means that the Bible student only focuses on one verse. A textual study is a study of one text, one verse. Perhaps a certain verse really has you stumped, kind of like Timothy. It says, nevertheless, she shall be saved if she endure through childbirth. What in the world does that verse mean? She, the woman, shall be saved if she endure through childbirth? Does that mean everybody that has a baby is going to heaven? I still don't have an interpretation for that verse. Uh, you could be applied to Israel. She'll be saved because she gave birth to Jesus Christ and has the opportunity. But there are verses in there that stump us. Some may never be solved this side of eternity. Many can be solved this, time of, this side of eternity if you ask questions and start studying there over and over and over and over again. You may want to stop and thoroughly study that one verse. You may have to dissect the words used with the help of a lexicon, or you may be able to find a similar verse and compare the two. This type of Bible study often incorporates, is incorporated into the other two types. So when you're studying a topic, you may be studying the subject of healing. Come to a verse that has you stumped, where the Lord said, uh, this, this, neither did this man sin nor his parents, but that God might be glorified has his sickness come upon him. That's a stumping verse. So even though you're studying healing, you may have to slow down and do a textual study on that verse to understand what did Jesus mean there? I, I think it's that passage... The disciples said, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? The man was born blind. Born. So when did he sin to have that blindness upon him as judgment? It's a dumb question. It's a stupid question. It's a, it's a religious question showing that they still have caught up with this Jewish mindset that all, all sickness and disease is a curse. 
Who did send this man? He was born blind. That had already been ascertained. If you just read through there in a year, you don't even pick up on those questions. The things just don't stick out at you. But if you slow down and maybe, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Hurry, 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 hurry. Come on, read, read some more, read some more, read some more. Why? Brother Copeland said, one word from God can change your life forever. One word. Amen. I'm harping on that hard enough now because I'm going to win because I'm right. I know I'm right on this. I'm not right on everything. This thing I know I'm right on. I've been studying the Bible 21 years. I know I'm right on it. I even tried. I can tell you exactly when I began reading the one-year study Bible. January of the year 2002. I can tell you when I quit it. March of 2002 in Florida on a family vacation. I said, this is dumb. I don't have time to study everything God's yelling at me. I've just passed up 17 awesome studies because I got to get to the next day's reading. I can tell you the hotel I was at. I went for a five-mile run that morning. I said, I'm done with this. It doesn't work for me. It's 15 years ago. Just for what it's worth. What is the goal? The goal of any and all Bible studies to get to know our God better and have him reveal himself to us by his Holy Spirit through the Bible. When God supernaturally reveals something to us during our Bible study, we call that revelation. You have to slow down to let God reveal things to you. Personal revelation is the act of God revealing to someone something they have never, had never seen before. We may have read a particular verse 50 times before and had never, quote, seen it. But on the 51st reading, a light came on within us and we saw something we had never seen before. Revelation is part of the reward of seeking God and studying his word. And boy, we've all experienced that. I love that. That is worth studying the Bible. There's been many times in my life I, I, I was reading something, reading something, studying something, asking God questions, and he showed it to me after about four or five days. And I remember one time in particular, he showed me exactly something. It made me literally stand up out of my chair, just rejoicing that I could see what he was trying to show me. And then I fell to my knees and began to weep before God and say, thank you, Lord, for revealing this to me. You wanted to, which is why the thing stuck out to me when I read it, but it took four days of bugging you and scratching at it and looking at other verses before I realized what it was, before you showed it to me. It just makes you so thankful. And it also teaches you, you know nothing. So you can just skim through things and you just wonder how many other verses are there, 30 something thousand others, that there's juicy nuggets to be revealed to you if you'd stop at them and for three or four days on that one verse scratch at it and scratch at it and dig at it and claw at it. Say, Lord, how come? Lord, you got me hung up here on purpose. Why did you tell the children of Israel you were going to give them so much quail it would come out of their nose? Why, Lord? Why would you say that? That seems cruel. Why, why would you get mad at them, then give them their request and give them the request where they hated their request? Why? And sit there and scratch at it. Or you can just go ahead and jump to your next day's Bible reading and leave that alone and never get an answer. Revelation is part of the reward of seeking God and studying his word. Notes, notes, and more notes. Make sure you're writing things down. Take notes. Never open the Bible or go to prayer without something to write on. Because if it's a relationship with God, he's going to talk back to you, and you'll probably need to write it down. You'll probably need to make a note. You'll probably have an understanding of a verse. Dr. Barclay teaches, if you have to, write your notes down in the margins of your Bible. I'll write down cross-references, write down words, write down interpretations, write down things that come out to you. That way, no, you always have your Bible. That way, you have your notes there as well. Write down your questions when you study. Who is Tychicus? Why did Saul send the ark back? 
Great biblical insights come from asking God questions. Good Bible study produces lots and lots of notes. Good Bible study produces lots and lots of notes. Bible reading produces hardly any notes. Good study produces lots and lots of notes. And that's how you become a student or a workman of the word. Where to begin? The Gospel of John or Ephesians or 1 John are good places to start for the new students. And then what topics interest you? How about what, what are you facing? What are you struggling with? What are your fears? Study something along the lines of your fear. See how other people in the Bible got over it. Just study. Just jump in there. And if you're waiting to be led to study your Bible, this is your leading. Get led. Just jump in there. You don't have to be led when there's a Bible verse telling you to do it. Or something as simple as be a student of the Word. What about a famous Bible character? When I got right with God, you know, I repented at the age of 18 in college at 1995. I guess I've been studying 22 years. The first thing I did was get my childhood study, my childhood Bible, and I studied the major characters I was taught as a Baptist boy. I studied Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jonah and the whale. I studied David and Goliath. And I didn't know where those verses were because those are obscure verses, especially, you know, to a backslidden Baptist boy. But my, thankfully, I wanted my, my childhood Bible because my childhood Bible had art. It had diagrams, pictures of the famous Bible stories. And I remembered from my childhood they had the scripture address. This was 1995. There was no Internet with Bible study tools. I didn't know what a Strong's Concordance was in March of 1995. By April of 1995, I knew what one was and I knew how to use it. But by March of 95, I didn't. And so I found the picture of Jonah. And I remember the picture of Jonah. He's, he's sinking down underwater. There's a ship above and a big whale coming to swallow him. And then it says where to find it. Jonah's found in the book of Jonah. I learned that 22 years ago. And I began to study those. And then I said, I got to get to the New Testament. Something on the inside said, you need to get to the New Testament. And then I just read through the entire New Testament. And then I came back and worked through the other books over and over. And then somehow nobody taught me any of this. I began to study topics so that within a year, I'd already covered most of the New Testament topics. Predestination, salvation, forgiveness, tongues. Just nobody taught me how to do it. It just happened. It just, it just came out exactly as I wrote 20 years later on this. So how to build doctrine? You can't do it without studying the Bible. Take notes, notes, lots of notes. And uh, you'll be a sound student of the word and you won't be able to be deceived by false teachers, heresies, or yourself, or your whims, or your fickleness of soul, or your emotions, or your feelings. The word is the word. It is truth. It is not biased. It just is. And we must conform to it. Amen? Amen. And hopefully you'll be more responsive in the next service. It's Father's Day. We'll see if we can make it sweet and encouraging, but I have a feeling not. Father, we thank you for allowing us to hear the word today. Thank you for helping us to be students of the word, not just Bible readers, but actual students of the word. Lead all of us in our Bible study, Lord. May we study the things that interest us. May we study the things that help us. May we study those things that challenge us. Lord, we love you and we thank you that we have a whole Bible, not just a rolled up piece of paper in a potato bin somewhere or something hidden or part of a New Testament or fragments that were hand copied. We have our whole Bible freely, openly. We can carry it under our arm. We can put it on a bumper sticker on the back of our car. May we not just possess it. May we possess its writings upon the tables of our heart and mind. May we glorify you, Lord. May we all be students of your word in Jesus' name. Amen.